This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Support for today's show comes from the new Amazon series, Homecoming, directed by Sam Esmail, the creator of Mr. Robot. Based on the critically acclaimed podcast by Eli Horowitz and Mika Bloomberg, Homecoming stars Julia Roberts as Heidi Bergman, a caseworker at the Homecoming Transitional Support Center. But four years after starting a new life, Heidi is faced with questions about why she left the facility, and she realizes there's a deeper story beyond the one she's been telling herself. Don't miss Homecoming. Stream now only on Amazon Prime Video. Loop is making engagement ring shopping easier with personal service, expert style advice, customization options, and beautiful inspiration to help you find a ring that fits your style and budget. All Loop rings are handset, individually screened by their team of experts, and meet the highest quality standards. Finding her ring is a big decision, so here's $100 off your ring to free up some extra dollars so you can take her somewhere nice and really do up that big proposal in style. Just go to loopjewelry.com slash pages slash kick and use code kick. That's loopjewelry.com slash pages slash kick and offer code kick. And now, enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. Having made over a hundred films in his legendary career, Willem Dafoe is internationally respected for bringing versatility, boldness, and daring to some of the most iconic films of our time, including Oscar-nominated roles in Platoon, Shadow of the Vampire, and The Florida Project, as well as Mississippi Burning, The Last Temptation of Christ, Born on the Fourth of July, Clear and Present Danger, The English Patient, Spider-Man, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and last year's Murder on the Orient Express. Now he gives what critics are calling the performance of his career as Vincent Van Gogh in At Eternity's Gate, which opens in theaters Friday, November 16th. He received the trophy for Best Actor at this year's Venice Film Festival for the movie, and I'd say the odds are better than good that you'll be seeing a lot of him this coming awards season. Today, Willem Dafoe comes on the podcast to share how his beginnings in experimental theater inform his acting, what draws him to independent films time and time again, and what it's like to make his 100th movie. He talks about how his latest film challenges the image of Van Gogh as an unappreciated mad genius and rethinks the constructs of the traditional biopic. He reveals what it was like to immerse himself in Van Gogh's world and find inspiration in the very same scenery that inspired one of the greatest artists of all time. He discusses the pressure of having to recreate iconic works of art with the cameras rolling and how artist and director Julian Schnabel taught him if you want to paint like Vincent Van Gogh, you have to learn to paint the light. Plus, the proper pronunciation of Van Gogh, or is it Van Gogh? the time he tried to summon the ghost of Houdini, and the beauty of embracing the mystery in life. Coming up with actor Willem Dafoe in just a moment. Today I'm talking with three-time Oscar-nominated actor Willem Dafoe, who gives what many are calling the performance of his career as Vincent Van Gogh in a new film called At Eternity's Gate. Willem Dafoe, welcome. Thank you. 
Well, we were just talking before we came in here because I have a bunch of magic posters in my office about the fact that you are from Appleton, Wisconsin, which is the birthplace of who? Well, it's not the birthplace. Oh, okay, the hometown. He grew up there, hometown of Eric Weiss, better known as Harry Houdini. The great Houdini. The great Houdini. Wow. Yeah, and you were saying that at one point, I guess you guys tried to contact him with a Ouija board, right? Well, uh, when, I had a kid? A, when I was a kid, a friend's father was uh, in a building that he was going to turn into a restaurant, and someone said, you know, this used to be where uh, the family home of uh, uh, Harry Houdini. <laughs> and we were kids, and we got out the Ouija board and said, Harry Houdini, if you're there, contact us. And it kept on going E-W, E-W, E-W. We thought, ah, this doesn't work. Of course, years later, we found out that uh, his given name was Eric Weiss. <laughs> wow. And that's funny because, like, his whole thing was disproving mediums. And he said, if you can really come back from the other side, he told his wife, try to contact me on the anniversary of my death for 10 years. And it was this whole thing trying to contact him from the other side. And you managed to do what no one else could do. That's incredible. <laughs> Growing up in Appleton, Wisconsin, was he like the biggest celebrity from there? Um, I'm afraid there oh, was no. another celebrity. Uh, Who's that? Senator Joe McCarthy. Oh, right. Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Tailgunner Joe. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. So we had we had a range there. Yeah. Well, now maybe you're the best, uh, the biggest. <laughs> well, I mean, I, people forget politicians and they forget turn-of-the-century right. magicians. So you might uh, have taken things over, I think. I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, I read that you come from a big family. I think yes. you're seventh out of eight kids. Is that right? Uh, that's right. That's wow, right. that is a big Wisconsin family right there. Yep, and not even Catholic. <laughs> yeah, and not even farmers. So what, even what's with farmers. so many kids? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my parents, I don't know. They. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> I mean, I suppose a psychologist might say, you know, with so many siblings, you must have always been trying to fight for attention. Of course, that must be why you're an actor. Huh? That's fair to say. <laughs> I've never thought about it too much, but uh, that's fair to say, I think. Were you like that as a kid? Were you outgoing and trying to entertain? Um, I think so. I yeah. think so. You look for your place. And so I was like the prankster and the, uh, the joker, I guess. Yeah. And now your whole family, including your siblings, uh, they're doctors and nurses. So how right. the hell did you end up getting into acting? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, basically, it's about, uh, you know, when you're young, there was a community theater mm -hmm. in, in my small town, and um, it was a very good one, actually. And uh, they used the physical theater of the university that was there. So uh, it was, you know, like a semi-professional uh, uh, summer theater. And I started working there and doing plays at school and that sort of thing. And, of course, it starts out just as a, a pleasure. Um, and then later you keep on thinking you're going to learn to do something else or do something else for a living, but it never quite happens. And uh, I just uh, basically have been working as a performer for ever since I was about 18. Do you still feel like you're still doing it for the pleasure? Yeah, I do, actually. Really? Yeah, because it's always different and. That's pretty suspicious. And, uh, you know, I see it depends on the person. You know, I see some people that I started out with uh, that are my age and have been doing it like for 40 years like I have. Uh, and some, 
still like me uh, enjoy it and and find challenges and others I think just uh, you know move on. Yeah, and it seems like you don't do it necessarily for the paycheck. You you seek out things that interest you because you do probably what maybe three or four indie films for every studio movie that you do. I'd That's say. probably true. That's yeah. probably true. I think just generally, I feel the mo- I find the most interesting opportunities and in, more in the independent world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to do studio films, and sometimes they can be very satisfying. But um, I live more. Uh, a lot has to do with I'm attracted to strong directors. And okay. s- strong directors can't have their hands tied. And in the independent world, there's a possibility that they have final cut and that they are um, they're respected and their vision is respected. Mm-hmm. Where sometimes in the studio world, not always, but most often in the studio world, it's a more uh, uh, corporate you know they're they're conscious of what the aims are, right. and uh, from the get go, often there's great. Uh, they know what they have to deliver, and it's very rare, uh, particularly for young directors, uh, to get final cut in the studio world. And I think they need that kind of power to really uh, exercise their uh, their vision. Yeah, so I guess it's sort of a self-selecting situation where the directors you want to work with probably aren't driven to work on studio films. I think so. It's, you know, listen, I don't, I never have and I still don't have absolute control over things. So it's always a combination of what's available to me and what I seek out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do like diversity because, as I said before, I still enjoy it because it's always different. My job is always different. There's certain things that are consistent with performing all the time, but they're pretty basic. The particulars and the life experience each time of doing something is quite different. Uh, yeah, and you play such an interesting, and quirky, diverse range of characters. When you're considering a role, what are the priorities that go into that decision? Is it the script, the director, working with certain actors, maybe the location where, where you're going to shoot? I think... Uh, uh, the director is very important. Mm-hmm. I think the the group of people working on it's very important. Location, location, location yeah. is important because <laughs> and it sometimes always... that can be really a, a pleasure. Oh <laughs> For yeah, instance, often the movie you just did, you're shooting in Arles, France. Yeah, what could be better? Not only Arles, <laughs> but also Paris, yeah. uh, Saint Remy, uh, Auvergne was all the places that Van Gogh yeah. was, and. I like to seek those things out, not only because they help the movie, but they also give you a life experience that mm-hmm. changes you and you can apply the things that you learn and and uh, uh, to what you're doing. So you feel uh, growth and transformation as a human being. And in the at the end of the day, that's more important than anything. And that ultimately is what fuels your work. Yeah. Now, are you an actor who likes to watch your own movies after the fact? You know, I'm not allergic to it. I can do it, but generally, um, because I like to work, uh, once I finish something, yeah, I I take care of it and I care about it, and I I try to if I particularly if uh, I like the movie, I I try very hard to promote it and that sort of thing. Um, but then after that, I'm on to the next thing, yeah. and it's like. You know, as you get older, you realize what you put in uh, to your brain is what you sit with, you know? Yeah. So, you know, when you're 
when you're finished with something, the lessons learned and the pleasures will stay with you intuitively. Mm-hmm. But as far as being with it, you got to make room for other things. Yeah. So yeah, I do look. I I you know if if I'm if I'm going to a film festival or something and they have a retrospective or I see. It's very rare, but if I see something on TV and, you know, I can watch for a little while and say, oh, my God, and I get a flood of associations, and it's fun for me, but oh, it's not... It brings it's, back the memories of the filming, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. But okay. I never, I never like, say, well, let me look at so-and-so and, and <laughs> yeah. study Let me watch it. myself yeah, for let's wait. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing. I mean, yeah. somewhere, yeah, you got to make room for, for the new. yeah. How about dailies? Do you like to look at your day's work, or do you leave it on the set usually? Um, usually, I think. I mean, this is. It depends with each project, and it depends on what the director wants. Mm-hmm. But normally, uh, I I avoid that because, yeah. you know, the mantra is: I guess if you like what you see, it doesn't help you. Because you right. feel a pressure to keep it up, and you can <laughs> yeah. become self-conscious. And if you don't like what you see, it can make you um, insecure and put you into yeah. a, a fit of doubting yourself. So, you know, I try to concentrate on the doing and the reflecting and the judgment of what's going on. Uh, you know, you address yourself to that, but you try not to obsess on that. And there's something. There's other people to. Um, uh, that can uh, watch that. That's why yeah. y- you want a strong director. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you're not a director or an editor, it's sort of an exercise in futility because there's nothing you can do about it. Well, that's the other thing <laughs> yeah. because as a as a performer, I mean, on some projects more than others, you're invited to collaborate in the post or mm-hmm. you're involved. Some Some you're there purely as an actor. Sometimes you're there as an actor and a filmmaker and a collaborator. It depends right. on yeah, the project. True. Yeah, but generally, it's, you know, where your concentration is, is really giving a performance that's integrated and comes from mm-hmm. someplace. And no matter how they cut it, no matter how they light it, no matter how, <laughs> whatever <laughs> happens, however it gets mediated, mm-hmm. at least you have something that's whole and, and connected and you're not outside of it. You're not yeah. judging yourself. You're not second-guessing yourself. You're not thinking, oh, how this will play. You're not self-conscious. You're doing because performing is doing. Uh, doing, then stuff happens and you react to it. Uh, I, I think less about choice and you know conscious choices than about being open and flexible and responsive. Now, that's not to say that you just sit there and wait for inspiration to happen or things to happen to you. It's not. You go forward, and then as you go forward, things, you react to, you know, there's a cause and effect to things, and you react, and then before you know it, a rhythm starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And that rhythm puts you deeper and deeper into, you know, what you're trying to inhabit. And then you start to create a relationship, and then it becomes a life. It's like a creation. And... When that that thing is put into play and is put into play in a way that you aren't stopping it, then a very beautiful thing can happen, and you can surprise yourself. You can do things that you couldn't even dream up. You it becomes 
you know, you start to address the wisdom of the body and your I- intuition rather than your conscious mind always trying to control and put yourself in a place that you feel comfortable with or that you you intellectually, you know, feel clear about. Yeah. Because the truth is the best things ha- are, are beyond that. The yeah. best things are beyond our understanding. Like Van Gogh had a deep understanding of that. Um, you know, he, he talked a lot about um, turning away from the visible and really addressing yourself to the invisible. Mm-hmm. He talked about great painting is is not painting things as they are, but painting things as you see them. Yeah. It's yeah. not about reproduction. It's about, yeah. you know, having a response. The way that you talk about acting and you relate it in a way to physical art and to dance, which I've heard before, where you're talking about the body and the rhythm and, you know, acting is doing and so forth. Yes. Uh, do you find that those kind of things inform your acting, other mediums? You know, many things were formed, you know, when I was starting out in the theater. I still work in the theater, but for many years I was with a company called the Wooster Group. Right. And that was a very physical theater, and we made original theater pieces, and that really informed uh, my approach to uh, to performing and making things. Mm-hmm. And I know that when you're filming, you don't like a lot of outside distractions. In fact, I, somewhere I read that you don't like to watch movies and TV because you don't want it to influence your performance. You seem to really be into immersing yourself in the moment when you're on a movie. Um. I think that's true. When you say it, it's like I don't quite recognize that because when okay. I hear that about other actors, I think, oh, it's a method, method. thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I, it's true that when I'm – it depends on the movie. Mm-hmm. But like right now I'm making a movie and I find myself really when I have free time, I just want to read things connected to the movie or mm-hmm. see things connected to the movie or practice things connected to the movie. And I feel like when I go outside of that, and I do occasionally – in my dreams, in my waking moments, I'm thinking about other things that don't necessarily relate to the movie. So yeah. I like a more concentrated approach, you know? It's <laughs> because somewhere you're pretending, you're, you're reordering ordering your life. I mean, one of the mm. great things about shooting on location is you leave your life behind, you know? You leave your yeah. habits behind, behind, you're living in a different place, you're you have different relationships. You, you, you know, it really throws you off your, your normal impulses, your normal habits. And that's sort of a blessing because it cleanses you of your impulses and then it makes room for new impulses. And where do you get those new impulses? By feeding your, your, your new routines, your new head with <laughs> things relating to yeah. what you're doing. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Willem Dafoe when we come back in just a minute. Almost every day, we hear something on the news about a cyber attack. Sometimes it's just a bunch of pranksters, but more often it's a foreign country with vast cyber resources trying to hack our power grid, our banking system, or our military's information networks. The National Security Agency plays a big part in protecting our country from cyber attacks, and you can help. The NSA is hiring technical professionals to serve on the front lines of information security. 
If you work in computer science, networking, programming, or electrical engineering, you can help keep your country safe. Design new hardware systems and networks, write faster, smarter programs, protect America's critical infrastructure, or help uncover what our adversaries are planning to do next. Learn more about careers at the National Security Agency today. Visit intelligencecareers.gov NSA. That's intelligencecareers.gov NSA. And now, back to the podcast. For someone who likes to lose himself in a character and in a project, at Eternity's Gate must have been a dream for you because, like we said, here you are living in the same place as Van Gogh and painting in Arles, France. And in some cases, you're sitting in the same spot painting the same landscapes as he painted. That's amazing. It, it was fantastic. And of course, the painting was very crucial because Julian is a great painter and he was very generous. The director, Julian Schnabel. Right? Yeah, Schnabel, actually. Oh, Schnabel. Yeah, just to. Put it out there. Okay. Um, well, then, since you did that, is it Van Gogh or Van, Van Gogh? You know, <laughs> what do you it's, say? <laughs> it's funny because country by country, it's very different. Yeah. Like, for example, in Italy, where I live, it's uh, Van uh, Van Gogh. Oh, interesting. They say Van okay. Gogh, which is I more the Dutch pronunciation. The Dutch right? pronunciation is more Somewhere. like, and anyone that speaks Dutch out there will have a good laugh, but Van Gogh. You know, it's very, <laughs> okay. it has a more okay. guttural thing. Okay. Um, of course, anglicized, we say Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Yeah, you know? and there, there's, of course, what is it, Annie Hall, the famous scene where uh, Woody <laughs> Allen is complaining about how Diane Keaton pronounces it Van Gogh. And yeah, so, Van How pretentious Gogh. he thinks it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Julian Schnabel, of course, comes from the art world. He was a painter and a big deal in the art world before becoming a director. And he still is a big deal in yes, the art world. Yes, yes. He must he's a great director, too. You. He's made yeah. beautiful movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was it the, the Diving Bell? Bell and, and the Butterfly. The butterfly yeah. Also, I like Before Night Falls very much. Mm-hmm. Basquiat, Meral. Yeah. Yes. Did he have some tips? Because you were doing a lot of your own painting in this movie, right? Yes. I mean, usually, for the most part, um, you know, when you see painting in the movie, it's me painting. Uh, there's no stunt painter. <laughs> yeah, because no... we see your face. <laughs> and, and you yeah. see me painting. Yeah. I mean... There's one sequence where I paint these shoes that we basically painted in real time. Wow. Um, which was important because you see how a series of marks become a painting. Mm-hmm. And you can see the play of colors with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks terrible for a long time. And then you see it kind of go ka-chunk and turn <laughs> into something. And that's a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've seen very much, uh, a lot, watching Julian in the studio. Um, oh, really? Yeah. He taught, me, he taught me to think in terms of a series of marks. Mm-hmm. He also taught me how to paint light, to look at something. Like when I'm looking at you now, rather than thinking of a good likeness, I'm seeing what I really see. And I'm saying there's a white... Uh, there's a white hard white line on your nose that huh. clearly comes from the light. There's also an area over here that's that's really dark. It's, you know, your face does fixed. not... <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> your your face doesn't have white right. and, and dark spots on it. Right. But I am painting the light. Mm-hmm. And when I start to do that, things, these marks start to talk to each other. Yeah. And they make something. 
that somehow captures what you are. It's not a good likeness, but it does capture what you are. And I think it's partly because it brings in nature. It brings in something natural. It brings in something elemental. And in this case, it's light. Yeah. And he was obsessed by that. When he yeah, went, down to, went down to Arles, it was to find a new light. He was tired of the grayness of Paris. He wanted to find a new light. Uh, visual imagery is light. There's no, there's no it's such true. thing as it without light. It's light. That's the only reason we see is because of the light, and the only reason we see colors is because of the fraction of light. When you get in that kind of head, okay, it's one thing to think in those terms as far as painting, mm -hmm. but if it really starts to affect how you see everything. Really? Well, in the sense that the way looking at your face connects me to light, connects me to nature— what is nature? Mm. Nature is creation. What is creation? You know, it puts you in a place. Wow. And it's not just about, it's not about just deconstruction, but it does give you a key into kind of the rise and fall of things, which if you have a new take on that, it, it, that runs deep. I love that about this film because it kind of connects, like you said, the light to nature and nature to God. God and yes. he was a very spiritual man, which was surprising. I didn't really under, that understand that That was surprising to me, but uh, yeah. he was steeped in it because his father was a pastor. Mm -hmm. When he was younger, he tried to be uh, a religious man. Um, and uh, he remained quite religious uh, throughout his life. Yeah. Not yeah. formally, but in his in the relationship he had to nature and to God. It was very intense. And he kind of has this sense of himself as the martyred artist, which there's a great scene, I think, toward the end where he's talking with a priest, and he actually compares himself to Jesus. You're someone who's actually played Jesus, of yes. course, in The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, did you take similar approaches to playing these two characters? Um, only in the respect that I had to forget that I was playing Jesus when I was playing Jesus, and I oh, had yeah? to forget I was playing Van Gogh when I played Van yeah. Gogh. <laughs> okay. You know, I had to concentrate on what we were mm -hmm. doing and yeah. not think of it as an accounting of who these historical figures yeah. were. And, or more precisely, you're not making the movie to explain who these people are. You're making a parallel thing. You're making, hopefully, a piece of art to express something. And it's your reaction or your experience of that mm -hmm. thing. It's not the thing itself. So you're kind of free. And that's why this, this film is, of course, to some degree, fact-based. But other, in, in other uh, cases, in other aspects, it's, it's uh, invented. Mm -hmm. But that's the only way you can make something. Yeah, and one of the things that I really love about this film that makes it stand out is that the audience kind of gets to inhabit his shoes along with you because as much as any biopic that I've seen recently with the Steadicam, the inner monologue, the pacing of it, at Eternity's Gate really allows the audience to sort of inhabit the man and get a sense of what his world was like. I think it's very, it's a subjective experience. You're mm -hmm. with him, you're with his thoughts, and you're with the experience because primarily by how it's shot. And it's, it's, you know, Julian being a painter, he's a very visual guy. He thinks in visual terms. He really has you with Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. The angle of the shots, the framing, the kind of movement, the kind of cutting, it all has you with Van Gogh. The audience really gets a sense of 
his isolation when he's by himself on a cold day in his room and, you know, longing to be with a friend like Augan and have some company or his ecstasy when he's out on a sunny day and running through the fields. Can't wait to start his latest painting. Right. Good. Uh, this film calls into question a lot of the long-held assumptions about Vincent van Gogh, such as this idea that he was some obscure totally unrecognized struggling artist who didn't get discovered until after his death. I mean, yes, he was a starving artist who relied on the charity of his brother, but he was not some obscure person. There were people who recognized his genius in the art world in real time. Yes, he he, he had a very, um, one of his shows had a great reception. Gauguin was an admirer of his yeah. uh, toward the end of his life. Uh Yes, he wasn't selling paintings, but uh, he did have a reputation. He was connected to many of the um, Impressionists socially. Uh, Mm -hmm. He knew these people. Um, It wasn't like he was totally isolated. And more importantly, this was a very productive period of his time, uh, uh, of his life, time of his life. It's a period where he was basically painting a painting a day. Wow. And this is even when he's in the hospital. And he's very uh, disturbed and struggling with certain mental and social uh, uh, challenges. From the film, I, I want to say that he says something along the lines that painting is how he frees himself of his mind or gets away from his mind. Yeah, he so doesn't to a think therapy when he's painting. In some sense. I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I relate to that. I think we all relate oh, to sure. that. We we yeah. all long we all long to. Uh, be free, and we're usually free when we um, contact something outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, where we're not thinking about ourselves. We aren't worrying. We're in movement. We're we're not thinking. We're uh, we're part of the whole swirl of things. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of jokey, but swirl is a useful uh, <laughs> word uh, when we speak about Van Gogh right. because you you uh, see it quite literally in some of his paintings. <laughs> yeah. But he had a deep understanding of the swirl of yeah. things. Now, when you were painting as Van Gogh, was that hard? Because he was, as you mentioned, a fast painter. Yes. He liked to paint fast. Actually, Julian uh, really taught me well how to use the materials mm-hmm. and how to hold a brush, how to work the paint, how to think in terms of marks, painting light, many things. He, It was really a very strong experience mm-hmm. for me. But I think of him making lots of little marks mm-hmm. and having them talk to each other. <laughs> um, you particularly feel that in the drawings, some mm-hmm. of those pen, oh, yeah. uh, ink drawings that I did with the columnist, you know, that those little movements, the cypress tree that breaks down to just a series of swirls interconnecting, yeah. that, that was, uh, that was a great, uh, it really opened up a different part of my brain to work that way. Yeah, and I was interested to learn that a lot of those drawings that were in this notebook were lost to the world for, I think, over 100 years, right? I, I don't know how long, but yeah, a long, long time, and they yeah. uh, fairly recently were discovered. That's incredible. Now, do you think Van Gogh knew that he was ahead of his time, or do you think he doubted himself? We know Did that he, he doubted sense? himself. That's yeah. evidenced over and over again in his letters uh, to his brother. And, of course, that was a very intimate, loving relationship. He was very, very close to his brother, and mm-hmm. his brother supported him uh, most of his adult life, supported him financially and emotionally. 
he had great doubts. He had great doubts. He had fits yeah. of doubts. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I like about this film, uh, again, like I said, it challenges certain assumptions, such as this idea that he was totally obscure or what the deal was with cutting off the ear right. or whether he committed suicide right. or whether he was murdered. Um, right. At one point, Van Gogh talks about what he likes about Shakespeare is the mystery and the ambiguity yeah, of his words. And similarly, Van Gogh is a man who you can never really truly know. You can only get a sense of the man. As an actor, do you find yourself drawn to the intangible and mysterious elements of a character? Is that is that where the good stuff is? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're very, I, I appreciate your selection of bringing out that moment where he says, I don't always understand all of it, but that's mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> because he's the most mysterious writer and and he's he, he says he's attracted to mystery. Yeah. Because mystery is very close to wonder and wonder is very close to life, you know, nothing can be explained away. I think he particularly in our modern age we're obsessed with function and reason mm -hmm. and we have to yeah. uh in order to live and in order to stay alive and wake up, we have to you know, address ourselves to the stuff that can't be explained. Yeah. And certainly in art and entertainment and in life, those that's where the gold is for me. Now, do you have a favorite painting of his? I don't. I no. don't. No, I don't. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and, I mean, a kid, a teenager, and I first saw, I first went to Amsterdam and went to the um, Van Gogh Museum because I was performing there with the theater company uh, quite a bit in Holland in those days. Um, I didn't know how to look at his paintings, Yeah, I don't think. And I remember I always got a big kick out of um, uh, the skeleton smoking a cigarette <laughs> okay. when I yeah. was young. Now, that's a minor work to me now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, of course, I like his later work. Mm -hmm. And... Um, now I have a huge relationship to the shoes because I practiced painting right. those shoes yeah. so much. Yeah. I was going to say, is there and one it, that you like painting And better? it was probably the yeah. scariest part because yeah. there was a real tangible sense of success or failure. While I had Julian helping me and he was coaching me through it, it was difficult because we were basically painting it in real time. Yeah, And so the camera... You know, we didn't want to cut out of it because the 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 painting ceased to be interesting or ceased to function. But I think it sort of does function. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that's beautiful in the film, even though we it was filmed, it was painted in real time, we do cut away from it. But still, even with cutting away, not to cover it, not being painted, mm -hmm. you know, in real time, uh, but more for rhythm you still get the sense how a series of marks can yeah. turn and, and how colors can talk to each other and and make something. Yeah. It's not a representation, but really captures the essence of something. Now, when you were painting the shoes and in other moments when you're painting in the film, did you find that you were trying to please Julian Schnabel, the director, or Julian Schnabel, the artist, more? Both. <laughs> yeah. Both. I, I must admit, I was... He was very generous with me, and I didn't want to disappoint him. And uh, he became, you know, uh, no, it was very important because he was my guide, and I, I, he was my teacher. So it's like when you're dedicated to a teacher, you want to do well.
Yeah. So I must admit that's that was difficult because I know he would like to be doing the painting, but he can't yeah. because he's got a frame <laughs> and direct. So I'm his creature. I'm his thing. I'm the thing that is him and is me, and he sends it out into the world he's creating. Yeah, That's what was crazy about this movie. It was so collaborative between the DP, between yeah. uh, the actors, and truly, you hear this often. People, basically, it's kind of just being positive about the experience. But in this case, you know, when actors talk about, oh, how what a great collaboration that was, this was a real collaboration. Mm -hmm. Julian has a very strong vision and was very clear about what he was doing, but he has also an ability to invite you in to collaborate with mm -hmm. him and make room for you to find your personal stake. And then once you make that personal stake, that gets transformed into a kind of mm -hmm. collective stake that is all driven by the yeah. rhythm and the, 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 the birth of the movie. And that's that's a wonderful thing to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I've had it to some degree with other directors, people that allow me because of a certain kind level of trust and a certain level of um, generosity, they invite you to collaborate. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that's, I like that most. I don't like... Sometimes I can just function as an actor, but I like to function as an actor that's uh, a creature of the director. Yeah. But even more so with this movie, I guess, because you're seeing things through the artist's eye. So there's a relationship between you and the art director and the cinematographer. Yes. And also, I want to say you were doing some of the steady cam work yourself. I, well, I right? have the camera sometimes like to it. really, yeah. when practically, he wanted me to contribute. Yeah. He wanted me to do the framing. Yeah. He wanted to give me that power. <laughs> he wanted to give me that stake. Wow. Uh, so that was, it sounds like just, you know, that's exciting. Like, it was but a big responsibility too. <laughs> it, it was, but I felt comfortable yeah. with it. Also, because Benoit Delhomme was very close with me on this shoot because we weren't shooting conventional locked-off mm -hmm. coverage. Yeah, we didn't get a master and then go tighter and tighter and tighter yeah. and tighter. It the, the way it was shot was very fluid. Now there are some very composed sequences. When you think about the movie, it's really a series of landscapes and mm. portraits. I mean, that's how it's framed. Yeah, So there's these fluid yeah, nature shots, that. and then there's these very formal conversations that were really quite close, mm. and we're really dealing with talking heads, sometimes heads talking directly yeah. to the camera. <laughs> um, so that was nice because in the structure of the movie, Julian really was reflecting, yeah. what did Van Gogh paint? primarily yeah. landscapes and portraits. And there was a scale to it that corresponded to his yeah. work. So, I don't know, it was... Uh, yeah. It must have been an experience. It was, it was fantastic. It looks like it. And I want to say, I, I think I have this right, that this is your 99th film, so what, Aquaman will be the 100th? Is that right? I, do we have that? You right? know, I, I don't know where you're counting, but I... I, <laughs> okay. I it depends how you count movies, right. you know, yeah. because some are cameos, some are, you know, right. very involved, you know, six-month okay. shoots, some yeah. are a couple of days, I think, and some are, you know, considered documentaries, some are voice, you know, but I think we're talking about, you know, almost 130 yeah. movies. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So then looking over 100 or 130 movies, have you come to any sort of a unified theory of acting and filmmaking? No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> Honest man. No, I really don't know. Well, All we- I know is it still calls me and uh, it's still mysterious. <laughs> but but I've been I've been in that mysterious place in that space uh place scratching my head about it that it's a place of insecurity or uncertainty yeah. that I love and I can work from that place and I can also make things from that place and that's a that's a beautiful feeling because you don't feel stuck. Embrace the mystery. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, at Eternity's Gate is just fantastic. I think you've got another Oscar nomination in your future. Not that I want to jinx you, but everyone should definitely see it. Thanks. Willem Dafoe, thanks so much for talking yeah, with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again to Willem Dafoe for joining me on the podcast. See his terrific Oscar-worthy performance as Vincent Van Gogh in At Eternity's Gate in theaters beginning Friday, November 16th. The Flatiron School will teach you everything you need to get a job in code, data science, or design. But they'll also prepare you for the jobs that don't even exist yet. Go to flatironschool.com podcast and read about graduates' new careers, salary ranges, upcoming courses, and explore these exciting new careers. You can start building your own career in coding, data science, or digital design at one of Flatiron's local WeWork campuses, or you can take courses online. Go to flatironschool.com podcast, read the reviews, and sign up for a free intro course. Enrollment is open now. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.